to encourage you to keep your Bibles open to the book of Exodus as we study the Ten Commandments. And I do think it's valuable for us to take some time and study the Ten Commandments. This is the fourth lesson in our series on the Ten Commandments. I think the value of that is because they present to us the moral character of God, the things in which were important to him under the former covenant, but it also provides for us an ability to interact with our neighbors who believe that the Ten Commandments are still binding today. In fact, if I were to ask the average man on the street, if I were to go out and say, are we under the Ten Commandments? I believe that you would have many people say, yes, we're under the Ten Commandments. And yet, many of these do not observe the Sabbath day. For instance, if someone tells you, oh, I believe we're under those Ten Commandments, and say, well, did you go to the synagogue this past Saturday? And, oh, no, no, what are you talking about? And many of them will respond by saying, well, you have to understand, the first day of the week, Sunday, is the Christian Sabbath. That's a term made up by man. There's nowhere in Scripture that suggests that the first day of the week is now or ever was to be called the Sabbath. We do worship on the first day of the week, but it is not the Christian Sabbath. So this evening, what I would like for us to do, as we have done in our previous ones, is to study the commandments one by one, and this will be the fourth one, and we will look at two things. We're going to look at the meaning of the commandment, what it actually says, and then we want to look at the message of it, the lessons that you and I made to derive from them. Well, obviously, as you begin in verse 8, he says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And when you look at the word remember, that carries with it the idea to call something to mind. Do you remember what you ate for lunch yesterday? Do you remember something that happened a year ago or five years ago? But when you go to the Bible, you have to realize that sometimes the word remember is even more significant because it is calling upon a person to commemorate something. Do you remember as Jesus gathered his apostles around to celebrate the Passover meal? He told them that they would do this in remembrance of him. Let me illustrate this to you. In Exodus chapter 40, I know that you remember the butler whose dream Joseph interpreted. And we read, yet the butler, chief butler, did not remember Joseph but forgot him. The idea of calling something to mind. Later on, when you get to chapter 41 verse 9, then the chief butler said, spoke to Pharaoh saying, I remember my faults this day. I do now call to mind what Joseph did for me. But I would like to point you to 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 4 where the same original word there is used but it's translated commemorate. And he appointed some of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord to commemorate, to thank and to praise the Lord God of Israel. The word commemorate there is the same word that is translated remember in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 8. But then he says, remember the Sabbath day. The word Sabbath, which is the Hebrew word Shabbat, if you go to Israel and you 
go into one of the hotels or one of the buildings that has elevators, there'll be one of the elevators which will have a notation on it. It'll say Shabbat elevator. You don't want on that elevator because it stops at every floor. It stops every floor going up. It stops at every floor going down so a person will not have to press the button. But the word means to cease, to stop. It was described as a person would cease their work for the week. They had worked six days, but on that seventh day, they were to cease from working, do no work. And that's what the word Sabbath means. I do want to bring a few points to your knowledge about this. It was not given at creation. It was not given until the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 16 and verse 23. It was given with regards to the manna. It was something that was made known. And even if you study through the book of Numbers, you realize that even Moses did not know how to address a person who had broken the Sabbath day until much after it was given. Just notice Exodus 16 and verse 23. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake today. Boil what you will boil. And lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. Verse 25, then Moses says, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. No manna on that day. That's when it began to first be known. When you go to chapter 16 and verse 29, See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath day. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. So the Sabbath day was a day of no work at all, a cessation. In Nehemiah's description of it in Nehemiah 9 and verse 14, you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses your servant. That indicates that it began much after the creation week. But when you begin to start noticing, if you go to Numbers chapter 15, verses 32 through 36, Moses is presented with a situation. There's a man who has been found picking up sticks on the Sabbath day. They brought him to Moses and to the whole congregation, picking up with verse 34. They put him under guard because it had not been explained what should be done to him. Then the Lord said to Moses, The man must surely be put to death. All the congregation shall stone him with stones outside the camp. So the Lord commanded Moses, all the congregation brought him outside the camp and stoned him with stones and he died. You see, the Sabbath day was something very important. And it was given by Moses for the children of Israel to respect. Now, um, keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. To make something holy means to consecrate it, to hallow it, to sanctify it. This idea is found in a number of passages, and I just want to bring these to your attention. The book of Genesis, chapter 2, verse 3, the God blessed the seventh day, sanctified it because he rested from it, 
from all his work which God had made and created or created and made. To sanctify something means that he makes it a special one, different from the others. In Exodus chapter 40, verses 9 and following, he says, You'll take the anointing oil and anoint the tabernacle and all that is in it. You shall hallow it, all its utensils, and it shall be holy. You see, you take something, you make it special, you set it aside, and then it becomes hallowed or holy. And that went all the way from the utensils to Aaron to the garments that he wore. Leviticus 10 and verse 3. You understand part of the reason why Nadab and Abihu were not acceptable to God. It says, Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. Nadab and Abihu did not honor and glorify God in what they did. They didn't treat the fire that was before the Lord as being holy. In fact, they got profane fire, ordinary fire, common fire. Everything that dealt with God must be regarded as holy. You go to Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 21. Thus says the Lord, take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day, nor bring it into the gates of Jerusalem. Drop down to verse 27. But if you indeed will not heed me to hallow the Sabbath day, such as not carrying a burden when entering the gates of Jerusalem. He's trying to say that you treat this day as special. You don't treat it as an ordinary day. Now the purpose for this is stated in verses 9 through 11. We're going to talk about the message here in just a moment, but I do want to read verses 9 through 11 again. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God, in it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor shall your maidservant, your female servant, your cattle, nor the stranger who is in your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it you understand that there was a purpose behind this remembering and, and how it was to be kept. I think it's valuable to step back and ask the question as we start looking at the message of this commandment is, why did God give it to begin with? What was the purpose of the Sabbath? Why did God want them to keep the Sabbath and to remember it and make it holy? It was a day to allow man to cease from his labor. It was a day of rest. We sometimes don't appreciate God's divine plan for us. It reflected what God did in creation, how God worked for six days. On the seventh day, he ceased, he stopped. Everything that needed to be done had been done. Everything that had been done had been done well. In fact, it was very good. But there's a statement made by Jesus in Mark chapter 2 and verse 27, which is extremely important. You see, the Lord was confronting people who were not respecting the Sabbath, but not because they were failing to keep 
what the Sabbath had said, but because they had missed its intended purpose. Listen to Jesus in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. This day was made, it was created, it was designed for the benefit of man. Hmm. If it's for man's benefit, then why did the Lord create it? I'd suggest to you if you go to Mark 6 and verse 31, you can begin to appreciate that. The disciples had been going and very busy every day. It would have been so busy that they didn't even have time to eat. It says, he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. The Lord created the Sabbath day under the Old Testament system to provide man a day that he did not have to work. A day of rest. A day of relaxation to some degree to allow not only him but his animals and his servants an opportunity to rest. And when you go to the book of Hebrews you realize that the Lord had a double meaning in that, if you will. He talked about Joshua as he led the children of Israel into the promised land. He said, for if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not have afterwards spoken of another day. Yes, Joshua did provide them rest from war. and They were able to be able to enjoy the land and possess the land. That didn't complete God's idea of a rest. Verse 11 let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone should fall or fail according to the same example of disobedience. But that wasn't the only reason why God gave the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was also given as a sign to them and to other people that these were God's people. It was a day when others would be able to see them stopping what they were doing. Let me give you an example. Deuteronomy 5, verses 14 and 15. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, your ox, your donkey, or any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. He wanted them to remember that when they were in Egypt, their taskmasters were very heavy-handed. And they didn't give them rest when they complained about how hard they were working, their taskmaster said to them, now gather your own straw to make your bricks. They made life even more difficult. And God wanted them to remember that. It would be a sign to mark that they were God's people. In Exodus chapter 31 and verse 13, speak also to the children of Israel, saying, surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, 
for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generation that you may know that I am the Lord your God who sanctifies you. So he's saying it's a sign, it's a mark of who you are. But when you step back and you look at those things, these were purposes that were uniquely applicable to the Jews, not the Gentiles. It wasn't our people, it wasn't our ancestors that were taken into Egypt and made slaves. It wasn't our people that this was a sign because we're Gentiles. And then you begin to understand if God's purpose was uniquely applied to the Jewish people, this law, this command does not apply to us today. As we think about the message of it, God had given this day for the good, the benefit of the people. And some had misunderstood it by trying to help God define his own will. A few years ago, I bought a copy of the Mishnah. And uh, some of you may not know what the Mishnah is. I'll explain it to you. you. In the first century, you know, Jesus talks about their traditions. And those traditions were oral. That is, they were spoken from one generation to another. Those oral traditions were actually written down, and that's what the Mishnah is. It's the written oral traditions from one generation to another of the rabbis. And what's interesting, if you get to this section, there's 39 laws that they had written about what it means to violate the Sabbath. I thought you might be find some of these interesting. And let me preface that with Matthew chapter 12. Now when he had departed from there, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? That they might accuse him. And then he said to them, What man is there among you who has one sheep, if it falls into the pit on the Sabbath, will not lay hold on it and lift it out? Of how much more value then is a man than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and it was restored as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and plotted against him how they might destroy him. You see, the Pharisees had in their mind, because of their oral traditions, you can't heal somebody on the Sabbath day. Because they considered that work. And Jesus said, You've missed the point entirely. Listen to some of the things that they had prohibited. This is from the Mishnah on the part about the Sabbath, chapter 7, verse 2. The generative categories of acts of labor prohibited on the Sabbath are 40 less 1. He who sows, plows, reaps, binds sheaves, threshes, winnows, selects from the unfit produce or crops, grinds, sifts, kneads, bakes, he who shears wool, washes it, beats it, dries it, spins, weaves, makes two loops, weaves two threads, separates two threads, ties, unties, sews two stitches, tears in order to sew two stitches, he who traps a deer, 
slaughters it, flays it, salts it, cures its hide, scrapes it, cuts it up. He who writes two letters, he who erases two letters in order to write two letters, he who builds, tears down, he who puts out a fire, kindles a fire, he who hits with a hammer, he who transports an object from one domain to another, lo, these are the 40 generative acts of laborless one. Now, you may not know the reason why they will not press the button on an elevator is because they say that means to make fire. That when you press the button, that creates an electric contact, and so they won't press the button. They'll ride the elevator, they just won't press the button for the elevator. But you understand how they have taken this and made this into something that God didn't intend it to be. Now, what are some things that you and I might derive from this? Some lessons that I believe can be helpful for us looking back and recognizing we're not under the Sabbath day. I think, first of all, we have a designated day of worship. But it's not parallel to the Sabbath. It's not the same day, nor does it have the same prohibitions, nor does it have the same purpose. There's nothing in the New Testament that says, on the first day of the week you shall do no labor. It's not there. There's nothing on the first day of the week that says you must do this or do that as the same way it did the Sabbath. But we do know, that according to Acts 20 and verse 7, now on the first day of the week, when the disciples gathered together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. We need to recognize that the day we worship God, the day we respect and hallow is the first day of the week. A second lesson that I think would be valuable to us to learn is that our day of worship is a day of benefit and not a day of burden. It would be very easy to try to take the first day of the week and make it a burden to people like they had taken the Sabbath day. Can you do good this day? Can you, can you make it a day that a person wants to be a part of? And look at it as a blessing from God rather than looking at it as a burden. Matthew 23, Jesus looked at the Pharisees and there were so many aspects of what they had done that was hypocritical. But he said, they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. It'd be very easy to constantly tell people, you got to come to church, you got to come to church, you got to assemble, you got to worship, to where a person comes and they say, well, I've got to be here. Not because they want to be here. And if we're not careful, we can tell people that to the point where they look at it as a drudgery rather than a blessing that we're privileged to enjoy. I think the next thing we need to learn is, is that whatever day of worship God has assigned, we ought to respect it. And respect it in the way that God has designed it. Let me give you a few points here. You go to Amos chapter 8 and verse 5. Here's the attitude that had developed by the time of Amos. 
saying, When will the new moon be passed that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may trade wheat, making the effort small and the shackle large, falsifying scales by deceit? Their minds was, I'll be glad when the day is over so we can get back to business. Let's hurry up and get this thing out of the way. Malachi 1 and verse 13. Oh, you, what a weariness. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. When you look at the day of the Lord as a day of weariness, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be a part of this. I want the day to hurry up and be over. If worship doesn't mean any more than that to you, there's a heart problem. You get to Hebrews chapter 10. I really should have included verse 24. Where we should exhort one another to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. As is the manner of some. But exhorting one another. Encouraging one another. So much the more as you see the day approaching. A time when we look at this as a day that we encourage people. Oh, look what benefit you are deriving from this. Look, you get to give praise to the Almighty. While not living under the Old Testament, the principle of rest is very important, both physically and spiritually. God didn't design man to work all the time. In fact, you remember what Jesus said to the devil when he was tempted to turn a stone into bread? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You come over two more chapters in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus talks about, beginning with verse 25 going through verse 34, about how people say, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we put on? And he says, is not the life more than food and the body more than clothing? And then he comes down to verse 33 and he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. The problem is that so many people become so obsessed with the physical realm, they never take time to rebuild, to rest, and give others an opportunity to rest. But I would be remiss if I did not emphasize Hebrews 4, the fourth chapter again. Because the writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to focus us into seeing that it applies to us too. In verse 1, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you should seem to come short of it. It means that some of us can miss the rest that God has promised. Verse 9, he says, There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. The rest that he's talking about is eternity. The rest that he is talking about is a blessing of when we get to the real promised land. What I find interesting is there are Sabbath day worship still being practiced today. Uh, I've talked with Seventh day Baptist. I've had a number of discussions with Seventh day Adventist. 
There are people who, who believe that this is the day that we're to worship, even as it is very plain and very clear in the New Testament that our day of worship is the first day of the week. We must be sure that we teach people that we live under the new covenant of Christ, that we do not live under the Old Testament, including the Ten Commandments. Hebrews 8 and verse 6 makes an important statement. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also a mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. God has given us something better than those Ten Commandments. God has given us something better than the law of Moses. It's the law of Christ. And contained within the law of Christ, that new covenant, are many great and wonderful blessings and promises. Our day of holiness remembers the ultimate deliverance, not the deliverance from Egypt, not from the bondage of the Egyptians, but it reveals to us the deliverance that you and I have been given in Jesus Christ. And that's the reason why on the first day of the week, our memorial is that of partaking of the Lord's Supper and we remember the sacrifice that He provided for us. If you'll get your songbooks now, we're going to sing the song of invitation. It may be that during this day that you have thought about your eternal soul and I sure hope that you have. I hope that there's some time during this day that you have contemplated, am I right? Am I wrong? Am I going to heaven? What do I need to do? If you're not a Christian tonight, we want to beg you. We want to plead with you. Not for us, but for you. That there's an opportunity for you to save your soul by being obedient to the gospel. The baptistry behind me is prepared. Everything is ready. We'd love for you to respond. But more importantly than us, is God would love for you to respond. If you are a Christian and you've looked at your life and you see sin there and you know that you need to make corrections, we'll pray with you. Would you come while we stand and sing?